0: Welcome to The Hidden Truth, Breaking the Silence. I'm your host, Jonathan McLernan. Each episode, we explore stories of individuals and how they've been affected by being a part of a secretive Christian fellowship. The stories shared here may include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Dysfunction happens when doctrine meets dogma and silence is paramount. So let's pull back the veil on today's episode of The Hidden Truth. All right, it is my pleasure today to be interviewing a friend of mine from nearly a generation ago, uh, almost almost 20 years ago. We, we first met on a road trip to a convention from BC down to Washington. <laughs> no, um, to Oregon. Oh, sorry, to Oregon. Did we go down to Boring? We did. We went to Boring. I always found that a funny name for a convention. I was like, Boring. Like, does, Did anyone stop and think about like the marketing aspect of this? Like, No
1: one, no one else has noticed except for you and I, I don't think.
0: Right. Cause it was actually one of the biggest ones cause it's one of the last West coast ones of the year. And so it's one of the biggest or well, most well attended ones. And so when we were young, it was like fun to go down there. Cause you could meet up with lots of other, uh, other young people that were a part of the fellowship. So, um, lots has happened since then though. And we've been through a lot, but, uh, before we dive into the present circumstances, I'd love to hear a little bit about, uh, kind of like where you grew up, uh, were you born and raised and what was kind of your connection to the fellowship? Um, I was,
1: Born and raised in New Brunswick, uh, Canada,
0: which Hmm. is east of Maine,
1: in case anybody else doesn't know where it is.
0: Um, (laughs) It's like the the forgotten province, right? That's right. It's one of the smaller Canadian
1: provinces. Not the smallest, but I think it's the second smallest. But yeah, yeah, I was um, born and raised there. Um, My great grandfather uh, uh, heard the workers. in 1910, and it was some of the original ones from Ireland. Um, okay. that he heard, and uh, um, his parents professed. So my great great-great, great my great great grandparents, and then um, he went in the work for a few years, as well as um, another young lady who professed in the same mission that he professed in. She went in the work as well. And then they got married and so her family all professed at that time too. So okay. yeah, it goes back yeah. away.
0: Yeah. Do you do you know if they happened to continue ministering uh, while they were married? They didn't, no.
1: Okay. Um I think they got married and within a year my my grandfather, who was the oldest of the family, was born. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they both they both stopped uh they both left the work because of their of their nervous health.
0: Right fascinating to hear that as early back as I mean now to be fair as I started learning what kind of the history of this and and how like it was it was a rough like rough living circumstances you might not even get electricity or running water back then oh no they didn't absolutely not
1: um my my great grandfather lived to be 100 he died he was 18 years old and so I remember asking him if he remembered Queen Victoria and he said oh yes I remember Queen Victoria and I said, do you remember the first car? And he laughed and he said, um, I was married with children before, the, I, before I ever saw the first car. So.
0: <laughs> wow. You know, I, and I think that that's so amazing that you actually had this connection to kind of living history like that. Uh, I'm so glad your great grandfather got to live to be 100. so you could, And that you were old enough to be able to ask those kinds of questions. And he was sharp enough to be able to share some of that insight. I would you know I'd love to be able to ask those kinds of questions nowadays in, in light of everything else because I was thinking about like for for a female worker or minister to go out um in those days I think would even I don't know if I'd say it was more hazardous but it seems like it's more difficult you know you think about a, and it, did she go out with a companion or did she go out solo or, or how did it work back then
1: She went out with a companion but they immediately sent mm-hmm. her to Indiana She mm-hmm. she was in the work in Indiana for I think all of her years which were three or four in mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Yeah. And my great grandfather was in the Maritimes, but they, they both each had their, uh, companion the whole time.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, so you're born and raised in this lineage goes back a long, long way. Right. Um, what do you, what do you recall? I mean, you're not that old, so it shouldn't be too hard to recall. Um, you know, what do you recall kind of about growing up? What, what was life like for you? Cause we've heard stories that like Atlantic Canada was maybe more strict than Western Canada or things like that, but I don't, I don't really know what was, what was that like?
1: Um, in some ways, Atlantic Canada was more strict, but in others it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, the divorce and remarriage bit. it It's not like I even, I don't even remember hearing about anyone being divorced and remarried when I was a kid, but I wasn't very old. I mean, in my teens when I found out that my grandfather had been divorced mm-hmm. and remarried um, okay. and he was the elder of the meeting where I went to meet right. him. Um, but, we, we celebrated Christmas. We didn't have a tree, but yep. we celebrated Christmas just as much as anyone else did. And then when, right. I, when I came to Western Canada, um, I found out that they were very much against Christmas and also against Halloween. And those, oh, those sort of things were very much celebrated in our house when I was growing up.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in 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 many ways and I think we we had a pretty mild like christmas I, I think we had like a little artificial tree that was you know maybe a couple feet tall or something and we put a couple of presents under there because I think my my older brother um when he was a kid he he really wanted to see a christmas tree or something and so they said okay we'll just get a little tree you know for us we we didn't really I think from an early age we were sort of taught not to create a connection to Jesus with christmas but it really it was just like a we almost kind of treated it, i think more like a pagan celebration not like celebrating the birth of Jesus and so We weren't taught. We were never taught that it was like
1: specifically a Christian um, uh, celebration, but we were also not taught that it was wrong to celebrate it as if it were Christian. The only music we ever had in our house was my mother playing the piano, and she she played mostly um, uh, like the religious carols when at Christmas. That's a lot of what we what we grew up with,
0: yeah, and you know, and as I think about it now, with probably a much more, um, what would I say, in one sense, like a relaxed mindset, I think. Well, I mean, if people singing, you know, carols about Jesus, or doesn't seem like it's actually such a terrible thing, as as someone who's a Christian, I'm like, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be like so so against like people learning and hearing about this, or or or, or like celebrating and treating it like as a it's a bad thing, um, exactly. You know, like
1: how how is it wrong to celebrate the birth of Christ no matter when it is? How is mm-hmm. it wrong to um, to um, give God the glory, to give Christ the glory for peace and joy on earth? You know, and for this season, they say Christ is the reason for the season. Well, if that's what you celebrate, if that's what you want to feel in your heart, why is that wrong?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I now I, I think through a lot of things that maybe I didn't even question in in the past. I mean, maybe I really felt like there was no great reason to. But as of course a lot of things have been uncovered, you know, a lot more kind of questions come up, and I think, boy, was was a sort of like really sort of harsh, like exclusivist kind of exclusivist kind of mindset. Like, was that really helpful and and like help anyone? So, um, so you you had a reasonably relaxed let's say maybe I shouldn't say a reasonably relaxed upbringing. Um celebrated some things. Uh, Halloween wasn't seen as a terrible thing. Um, you know, what was it like kind of going through high school and whatnot? Did anybody like care that you were a part of this fellowship or were you in a relatively large?
1: No, actually I was the only my sisters and I were the only ones in my high school that went to meeting. Right. Um, yeah. And nobody nobody cared. No. Um as a matter of fact, uh I was friends with everybody. And whenever there was a like a party or something um, and everybody was invited, my friend, whoever was inviting the party would say, um, you know, you're welcome to come Hod, But we know that that's not what you do. So it's up to you. Right. <laughs> I had I had no peer pressure in school at all.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I recall getting made fun of uh, gro- growing up because uh, we had we grew up in a little town of like 2000 people. And uh, we'd walk up the street. We had a union meeting, a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night, all within like literally two minutes walk. There's like, you know, four houses down, five houses down and like three houses down, one block over kind of thing. Like that was, that was our layout. And so we walked even in the wintertime, unless it was really cold, then we'd maybe drive, you know, if it was like minus 30 or something. But otherwise we just bundled up and walked. And we happened to live across the road from the main grocery store in town. And it seemed like everybody was going shopping at like 10.05 (laughs) AM on a Sunday morning. So there was like no missing the fact that I would like, and I, I would like try to hide behind my mom and, and not be seen. You know, I was kind of, I was ashamed of, of, of all of this. Um, and in fact, uh, when I was I professed when I was 14 and I didn't know, but one of my basketball teammates had grandparents that were professing and uh, he was actually at the gospel meeting in, in, in the back. Just, he'd just come along with them because he was staying with him for the weekend. And had, had I known that he was like, you know, eight rows behind me or something, I probably never would have, uh, w- would have done that. And so, you know, he he was on my case, like the next, the Monday after I'd, I'd professed. And so I remember not, not to pretend like it was any sort of harsh persecution, but like I was, I was definitely hearing it and and uh, definitely getting, you know, people would say like 666 as I walked past in the hallways and stuff oh. like that. like just, you know, like just like cheesy sort of stupid high school, you know, immature stuff. But, but yeah, they definitely had a go at me for that because there really wasn't a lot of, like, there was a couple of small churches, but there wasn't really a lot of Christians in the town that I was aware of.
1: Well, yeah. See, all of my good friends were very good, strict Baptists. The okay. little village, I grew up in a village of 300 people. And okay, yeah. the little village that I was from was 90% Baptist. Okay. And um, they really were good Christians. Yeah. Uh, like my, my best friends, my next door neighbors, they weren't yeah. allowed to wear jeans to school because jeans were work pants and their oh. parents very strict that they had to wear like dress slacks to school and my parents didn't do that sort of
0: thing to (laughs) me (laughs) uh so and it's interesting to hear that because we often think uh for those who've been raised in this fellowship that we're like the only ones with sort of strict rules and traditions and things like that but it turns out that other other fellowships and and denominations have these sorts of issues and challenges as well I'm, i'm curious uh at what point did you did you decide to profess, or you felt felt moved to profess your your faith in God? Um,
1: well, it's it's funny the way it turned out. I had never even considered myself not professing, and mm-hmm. um, when I was ten years old, um, almost eleven, um, no, sorry, I was eleven, almost twelve. Um, I just kept asking the sister workers after meeting to come visit us because I loved the sister workers. They were mm-hmm. such. Ladies, they probably yep. weren't old, but they seemed old to me, and, <laughs> yeah, you know, I just asked them and asked them, so finally they came, they came assuming that I had something to tell them, yeah, um, because I had been so insistent that they would come and visit, so yep. they um, they got me alone, they sat me down, and I um, made sure that everybody was out of the house, and they gave me <laughs> a picture that, said, if you're nervous, um you can hug this if you need to tell us something or ask us something. And I thought, well, I have to tell them something now. So I'm like, yeah. I think we should profess. And they said, well, they said, do you, um, do you think that God has been speaking to you? And I said, oh, yes, yes, God speaks to me. And he does. Yeah. Like, he did, I mean. yeah. Yeah. Um, and they said, well, next time we're going, we're going to have uh, pretty soon, we're going to come to the end of our mission and we'll test the meeting and um, you can stand up because we think that you're ready. So, I did, because I told them I
0: would <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that, yeah. that's that's funny how that kind of plays out um and that, I mean that's very sweet of them to say like you know and it, it's funny to think about again i I think this through now through um like sort of my adult lens and my analytical thinking, and I go, you, you know we make in, in one sense, I think it's worth being celebrated But say we want to make a public declaration of our faith fantastic that's that's a really good thing, but we make it out to be such a such a heavier or, or or like almost like fearful thing when really it's it's uh it seems like it's like this natural progression if you if you have a faith in god that you want to follow and and i'm curious then so you said you know god was speaking to you from a young age um what was your experience or how did you kind of feel that god spoke to you as a child um
1: i i as a child i didn't really have i i don't really have any except i felt like um I felt like God spoke to me he called me to the ministry when I was really young. Okay. Um, he he gave me a love for the workers. Um okay. and and it felt like that felt right to me. Mm-hmm. That that's that's mm-hmm. what God wanted me to do. I can't say that I, you know, wake woke up in the middle of the night and heard a voice or anything like for that. For sure, for sure. Um but it's something that built like it it mm-hmm. and it gradually built over time. Yeah. Um, and um and then, like he spoke to me like after I professed, he spoke very loudly,,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and you know, I can tell you that right now, but
0: that's a little ways down the road if if you <laughs> right <laughs> <head> yeah ahead <clears throat> of you, I <clears> know <throat> that that's all good, I mean, I was thinking about my own experience as like a child. And things that I recall is we would um often read like a chapter together in the morning and like we didn't have to be a part of it as kids because mom and dad did that, but we kind of we wanted to, and I I enjoyed listening to my dad kind of explain things in the Bible. And I knew that like I had a I had like this feeling inside that I couldn't explain, especially as a kid. I couldn't put to words, but like I felt very like, I don't know, warm, safe, secure, happy, loved when when we were reading the Bible and learning. Like it wasn't this i don't know harsh sort of ah fire and brimstone sort of thing it was let's let's help you understand the bible and and get to know god and 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 jesus and i i felt as a you know and so actually um i i'm i'm an empath and i experienced like quite big emotions and of course back then i had no idea what that meant or what it was all i knew and, and i'd have temper tantrums as a kid and it turns out you know sometimes big emotions just needed to be <laughs> let out but uh, but as a kid sometimes i'd start laughing in the bible studies my dad would be like like what's you know what's going on? Like, what's, what's funny? And, and it's like, well, no, nothing's funny. I was actually, but I felt like such, I don't know, a, sort of a joy or a happiness that I I just was laughing to almost like relieve the tension of the intense emotion that I was feeling. And it wasn't coming from my parents, like forcing anything on me. So it, it was really interesting, that kind of experience. And then I remember I was maybe 11 or 12 when I started feeling like, okay, maybe God wants me to, to, to profess or be a part of this fellowship. I didn't, I didn't profess till I was like 14. Um, but I, I always felt like okay I could participate in this fellowship like I could profess I'm I'm sort of changing my language a little bit for those who might not be part of the fellowship who understand so they can understand as well but you know I kept having this feeling like oh I could I, I think I could pray in, in a in a meeting in a gathering I think I could like give my testimony it doesn't seem like it's that hard to do um <laughs> cause I, in my head I was like oh I guess that's what it means to profess right is to like now go to a meeting and, and say a testimony and say a prayer in the meeting right so um. But yeah, so you you'd felt like there was this um, th- this call to the, to the minister, to, to minister the God's uh, God's word. You felt you felt drawn to the workers. You felt uh, uh, sort of a kinship with them, even from an early age. Um, wh- what age were you when you felt like, uh, without any shadow of a doubt, like this is what's what I'm going to do with my life? Pretty soon after I professed, I was probably twelve or thirteen, and um,
1: I just I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is what I yeah. wanted me to do. But um I was extremely terrified of anything having to do with death. I couldn't mm. couldn't look at a even when we were driving past, I couldn't look at a graveyard. Um uh, if if we if I saw a hearse, I'd feel sick to my stomach. The the thought of going into a funeral home was terrifying. I was so terrified. Um I had to go to a fun my, my parents went to a funeral and made me go with them when I was five years old. And that yeah. memory is etched into my brain so badly I remember the smell of that funeral home. Uh, and I was terrified because I was terrified. So I thought there is no way that I can be a minister. Like when it comes right down to it, like I was okay yeah. with the idea. But when it came right down to being in the ministry, I knew I couldn't yeah. because ministers had to stand beside a casket and preach at a funeral. <laughs> right it's just and so i was just like nope, it's not for me it's not going to happen yeah. but then when i was 14 there was the elder of one of the churches in the city that we we lived near he and his wife i just i thought the world of them they were such wonderful people to me mm-hmm. uh that when he died when i was 14 years old um i just thought i cannot not go to the viewing into the funeral cuz Ever in those days, I don't know if they do anymore, but in those days, you went to both the viewing and the funeral. Right. So the night of the viewing came, and I just thought that that lady isn't going to think, it's going to think I don't love her. If I, because my family is all getting ready to go, and Mm -hmm. I am my stomach because I think I have to go, but I know I can't. So my family is standing with their coats on, ready to go out the door. And my mom said, Hod, are you coming or not? And I said, just give me a second. And I ran to my room and I kneeled beside my bed and I said, "Um, God, help me with this. Like, take this fear away from me. And immediately was gone. Just like that. So I get up. I said, I'm coming. And I put on my, my coat and I went with them and stood in line, walked by the casket, looked at the man in the casket, gave the lady a hug. And I have never, ever been afraid of it since fascinating no so i knew i knew that there was there was my ironclad excuse for not going into the ministry gone
0: right right yeah okay and now did you tell anyone at at this time that this was you you were feeling this in your heart or was it later on when you're like okay um, and how did that maybe like influence your at, at 14 or 15 if you're feeling this like how does it influence your final years of high school and things like that
1: Um, It really did influence my decisions on what I was going to do with my future. Um, Right after school, uh, I got into um, cabinet carpentry school, but it's not because I was really interested in cabinet carpentry. It's new that I just knew I had to do something until I was old enough to go in the work. So I did that. Um, and then, when I was finished that I went to australia and new zealand and but I uh offered for the ministry when I was seventeen years old okay and um my the overseer bill Bryant, he was really dismissive, like he did not take me seriously at all. He was actually pretty rude mm-hmm. uh, he, he told me that he was looking for serious um inquiries only basically. <laughs> Wow!
0: Wow! Yeah. What a thing to say.
1: I know. I mean, that's not his words verbatim,
0: but sure. Yeah, that yeah. was the the sense Bill, that you got.
1: Bill was a really good politician, and he he could say a million like, like he could write you a five page letter and not say a word, um, yeah. and he could dance around an issue without answering anything. But this one, he basically told me um, that I
0: need to go oh, get more
1: life experience,
0: and I'm so glad he did but he could have been
1: nicer about
0: it. <laughs> right right yeah fair fair enough so you told him at 17 um and then how many years was it between that and the time that you actually went out as a minister 6 years okay it's 20, 2023 years old i was 23 uh, you traveled you'd you'd uh, done some work and uh, you had a, a kind of a career a profession and uh so then the time has come was bill Bryant still the overseer when you when you went up yep mm-hmm. And did you have a conversation with him uh, again and say, okay, or, or did he call you? Or?
1: I wrote him another letter and yep.
0: I told him,
1: um, that the call was still there for me. Um, and, um, you know, I'm 23 years old now. It's been six years. Um, and nothing has changed. And he immediately wrote me back. And, uh, if you, if you knew Bill Bryant, you would, you could just hear him saying, well, then, <laughs> well then, um, I if if this is still on your heart, um then uh we can do nothing else but accept you is what he said. <laughs> so very very direct, yeah. In that letter he told me that that uh, there could be a place for me in the fall or in the new year, um, or I might have to wait until preps the next year, which would have been April.
0: Right, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, um so he uh, he wrote me a letter again saying that they were going to be coming um, for, cause the sister workers were having a mission in our little village hmm. and it, he and Gordon Hazelwood were going to come um, to see me about hmm. the issue. And so they did. Um, they called my parents said they were coming for supper um, and um, it was the night of, of the mission. Okay. So after supper, uh, I said, I'm going to go help the, I'm going to go set up the chairs for the sisters. And so mm-hmm. I left and when I got back, they had gone and I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> they were here to talk to me. And my mom and dad were just kind of sitting there looking at me and they right. said, so I guess you're going in the work. And I said, who told you that? And they said, well, Bill, after you left, Bill got up from the table. And he said, well, I guess we'll take your son if you'll let him, le- let us have him. And they said, what do you mean? And he said, he said, well, he said he's offered for the work. Hasn't he told you? And they said, no, he never told us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a way to get the news as parents. Uh, uh, Yeah. The thing is, I wasn't going to tell anyone until I was absolutely sure. Right. uh, This was going to happen or when it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Bill Bill let me know after that, that I would start in January. Okay. 1998. Yeah. And, And how did your, how did your folks feel about it? Well, um, they were very pleased. Um, my, my mother, so, um, a sister worker, an older sister worker always, uh, came to our house for her, for her three week rest at the end of every summer. She was Mm -hmm. like a member of our family, Dorothy Webster. She really was a lovely, lovely lady. And, um, uh, she, was in the neighboring field to my first year in the work. So I was in Halifax and she was in New Minas and right. the sister workers would come often to the city for, um, um, for uh, their doctor's appointments and stuff. Right. So yeah. um, she asked me, she said, now, Hod, she said um, I bet your mother is very pleased after all her years of praying. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, Oh, she said, didn't your mother tell you? And I said, no. Oh, she said, you better talk to your mother. So I phoned my mother and I said, Mom, what did Dorothy mean? And mom said, Well, she said, when I was pregnant with you, I prayed that if God would give me a boy, that I would raise him to go in the work. And I said, I see. Um, But I don't remember you ever saying, How do you need to go in the work? And she said, No. She said, "I really felt convicted that that wasn't how raising someone to go in the work was supposed to be. It was just to raise them um, godly, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she, but she told um, Dorothy when she heard that I was going in the work. She told Dorothy what she had done, you know, right. all right. those, Yeah,
0: that's interesting because by the time she's pregnant, um, your your gender was already determined. <laughs> oh
1: so here's the thing I mean, um, you know I'm gay, but maybe mm-hmm. people yeah. who are listening who don't know, but i am i'm I'm homosexual and uh so my joke over the years has been that i was i mean I was the fourth child my three my three older siblings are all female, and uh so my joke is that um i was you know I was female in my mother's yeah. womb, prayed to God, and God was like, Oh, well. There are things that we can do, but I can't. Like I can't do it all. So sure, okay. <laughs>
0: That's funny. Um, Don't actually, and,
1: but it's just. A
0: well, of course, yeah, yeah. But still, it's it's good to make, make light of that. So, and and w- while we're there, we'll come back to to your time, like your your first experiences in the ministry. But now that you mentioned you mentioned that, I mean, this is a, this is a very contentious topic throughout the world of Christendom altogether. We could say. And, and maybe, maybe it's a widely misunderstood uh, as well. At, at what age uh, did you have an awareness? Like, did you always know that this was, this was your orientation? Or when did this kind yeah. of...
1: My first, uh, going back, like thinking back, um, I, my first vague memories, um, I must have been younger than five years old. Uh, there was a young couple um, who came to, who we met with for, for union meeting. And um I was extremely attracted to that man. Um as a very young child. I would have like, I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't through puberty yet. Yeah. So it wasn't like right, right. sexual feelings, but I was yeah. very, very much into that man. And looking mm-hmm. back, um, I I have never had those feelings for women. I never right. I mean, I would I would pretend, you know, that yeah that I was into certain women because that's what guys my age did. Right. But right. Right. I, mean, I never, ever had that kind of a, um, an overwhelming response to a woman. hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, now yeah, from so, a very, very young age.
0: Yeah. And and of course this isn't something that was ever, I, I'm really, I don't think I don't recall ever really being talked much about. It was like sort of a secret shame, I guess. Um, at what age did you become aware that, like, I am, like, actually, I'm, I'm attracted to men, like, I'm, I'm homosexual? When, when did you sort of have this awareness that this is, and, and did you feel like you could talk to anybody about it or tell anyone about it?
1: Um, I was probably like twelve or thirteen. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of puberty, and, um, and no, I didn't. I was terrified <laughs> that anyone would ever find out. Um, right. when I was, I think I was, eight years old. Um, my, well, I mean, for a number of years before that, but my, my sister was engaged to a man who was very much part of our family. Um, they were both in their late teens and, um, um, anyway, it's a long story, but just one day he told her that he was gay. And I remember the, uh, how, how much, how upsetting that was, how hard it was on her I remember the day it happened so vividly because it was such a horrible day, and um, my sister left, healed out of the yard, tires screaming, and I went to my mom and I said, "Mom, what's going on?" And she said to me, "Oh dear,
0: maybe someday you'll understand." And boy, do I ever! <laughs> right? I mean, and and I can I can understand from your sister's perspective if if they're engaged to be married, like this is a very serious. I'm ready for a life commitment and it's like boom just taken away like that and you go was this all a sham this was all fake exactly it's traumatic Girl. um and
1: I learned a few things um one was that that's I never wanted that to be me first of all I didn't I didn't want I didn't want to have to tell anyone right um, it was such a horrible experience and also I didn't ever want to make anyone else feel that way like i didn't want to make a girl love me and then mm-hmm. let her know that i couldn't you know and as a matter of fact i really felt from a young age i felt very convicted by god that it was a sin for me to have those feelings toward a woman
0: interesting right yeah. and maybe maybe for the, that very reason that you could you could do some i don't want to say do some serious damage but for lack of a better expression um both of us yeah that's- yeah. Yeah. To go through that and to, to pretend to be something that you're not. Um, and so you never, you never dated girls, never like put on a show in that way. You just. Uh... No, I kissed a girl once, just
1: once. Yeah. And um, it, it really was like very lackluster. So oh, yeah. like we stood there for a few minutes and she said, can I ask you something? And I said, sure. And she said, are you gay? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man uh and and what age were you at this time twenty eight okay yeah okay. wow okay so uh, and was this like a curiosity thing for you like I just need to make sure yeah. or
1: well, I mean, um I had just left the work I was yeah. suffering some from some severe um nervous um anxiety and and depression mm, yeah. and rest, and this beautiful young woman. Um, showed serious interest in me. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe now. But all it took was that kiss. And like, we didn't even date or anything. We just spent, yeah. we spent the evening together and yeah. Yeah. made it very clear to me that she wanted to kiss me. So I'm like, okay, yeah. well, you never know. Let's try. And
0: right. <laughs> we did know.
1: <laughs> so- <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. So so through through like your teen years, um, did you ever hear about it spoken about in, in meetings or gossip meetings or conventions or anything like that? Or was it always just kind of this unspoken thing?
1: It, no, I, you know, it was kind of an unspoken thing. Um, it <laughs> wasn't, there was no gay bashing in our family, even yep. though I'm pretty sure that my grandfather like had was seriously homophobic, um, right. just in, from things that my father told me years later, but he never <laughs> ever said anything to me. Um, but when i was in the work there was some talk in the brother in the brother workers quarters at convention the, mm-hmm. amongst the 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 male ministers yeah uh, about certain ones and um there it wasn't it wasn't done in a nasty way but it was spoken about in such a way that made me made me s- like really cement my, um, uh, my understanding that I never, ever wanted anyone to know that I was gay. Um, right. it was, they were talking about, um, about this poor young man who had been led astray by a gay man and how it ruined his life. And, mm-hmm. so um, and then Bill Bryant said, yes, uh, the way you know a uh, uh you you can tell a gay person is because usually they have an overbearing mother and you know he went down the list and they were all just so wrong you know
0: right right you don't have no overbearing, overbearing mother <laughs> yeah uh an overbearing mother
1: mm-hmm. a, an absent father figure um it, you know all of these negative things
0: just just trying to come to some semblance of understanding of of this yeah, altogether. so going back to when, when you first offered the work so, so you knew like you're you're very clear in your mind you're offering for the work but you're very clear in your mind that you're gay mm-hmm. and and so you you out in january um now because uh, i think there's definitely i'm like i want to be careful in, in one sense or choose my words carefully but you know because there's this idea that oh well like what one of two things, like oh you're gays, you're gonna go in the work to to avoid any any talk about like being married or things like that? I'm trying to think of some of the things i I would hear like you know oh this is what they're struggling with, so they go in the work to try to avoid that, or well, now that they're in the work though now now you have like another male companion, and is that going to tempt them you know sexually in that way or things like that um what was kind of your experience going out in the work like did you did you just like repress any sort of sexual desires you had altogether or or feel like you had to um
1: so my my thought was that God had called me to the work to give me an opportunity to live my life honorably since okay. I was. Um, so I really, I, I didn't think that I was going in the work to hide from, to hide from being gay. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like it was God's answer for, for me. Okay. And, and I felt like it was his his mercy that he had called me. Because otherwise, otherwise what would I be? You know, That was my thought. Right. So right. when I went yeah. in the work, I felt very called. And as soon as I went in the work, uh, my very first gospel meeting that I preached in, getting ready for meetings, um, uh, preaching in meetings, it was a very, very spiritual experience for me. Because every Mm -hmm. time I went to get ready, it was, and I opened my Bible, it was like the green pastures beside still waters. Um, Yeah. Uh, And when I opened my mouth to speak in gospel meetings, the words would just, they would just come piling out. And I could hardly get them out fast enough. And (laughs) there were many meetings where I would open my mouth to speak about a verse that I had been thinking about. And the words came out were nothing like the words that I thought when I was getting ready, and they were they were amazing, amazingly good things. Like it wasn't things that I just made up because I forgot what I was going to say. They were they were things where I was like, "Wow!" Like if I were saying "Holy" back then, I would have said, "Holy cow!" Like so. It got to the point where I would I would be excited about gospel meetings because right. they were they were such a strong spiritual experience for me so i'm telling you this because being in the work for me um it, i felt like i was i was doing the most important work in the world and mm-hmm. so completely denying myself any sexuality any sexual feelings at all was was a, a small thing compared to what i was getting mm-hmm. um, and so basically, I did. I shut off any sexual feelings. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, uh, if I saw a hot man, I, mm-hmm. I I wouldn't not notice him. Right. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. It's all the human brain. Uh. <laughs> exactly. But right. I, I, mm-hmm. I basically shut it off. Like, I wouldn't allow mm-hmm. myself to go any further than to think. I mean, I wouldn't even allow myself to, to think, wow, that guy's hot but
0: there's there's but, certain... like instinctively you noticed
1: yes exactly yeah right
0: yeah i mean it it happens it happens for me but with women um and <laughs> i'm very we were talking before so i'm very very happily married very devoted to my i love my wife and still an attractive woman walks by and before i can even register the thought my brain has already picked up on it and it's just like it just it because just happens that, like that
1: because it, i mean that part isn't love that part is yeah. just is is just your human nature kicking in
0: right yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So you, you um, you really were, were like given words by the Holy Spirit to speak, and and you just felt like it was it was kind of effortless to preach. Because I, I, you know, I remember like some workers. It seems like they could just preach the gospel almost without trying, and others, it was like someone was like dragging the words out of them, and they were just in anguish and suffering. It was like, oh, I, I think
1: of one man in particular. It was so painful, like, yeah when I would leave gospel meeting, I'd be so tense because it felt like he, it was taking so much of his effort just to pull those words out. But you know, I was in some gospel meetings where I could tell whether people were listening or not. Uh, Mm -hmm. People listening drew the words out of you, out of me. And it's a really interesting way of putting that. If I felt like people weren't listening or if I felt like there was someone there who was, um, uh, who, who wasn't of the right spirit, who yeah. were there for for, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like other reasons or purposes or right. It yeah. felt like I could feel I could feel the words that usually just flowed out. They would fall. They would flow out and fall. I felt like that they couldn't go any further than a few inches in front of my mouth.
0: Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. That, that and that's quite an experience in and of itself too. To the to, have those kinds of feelings you know um but but I mean I think it's true we can tell like the, the again we don't often talk about inside this fellowship about like spiritual things which sounds kind of funny to put it that way but I, I mean legitimately like i i work virtually i podcast virtually i do i do like all of my communication is done virtually and yet there's always an exchange of energy that takes place in every conversation that I have without us ever being in a physical proximity of each other Yep. There is something there, yes, and and we we don't really talk much about that because because we're I don't know if we're afraid of this witchcraft or or something like that or it's just this mystical thing that we don't we feel almost afraid to explore. But like you're you're describing a very spiritual experience when you when you went to preach the gospel, in terms of like the lifestyle. If I could if I could just like say the mechanics of being a worker, you know, uh, going from house to house, uh, having a companion, sort of like that kind of thing. What was that like and, and sort of how taxing was it? Cause, and maybe you could share a little bit about like the in the field experience when you were given a mission area for, a you know, the season and then the the preps time and like the convention time or special meetings. All those kind of different experiences, what that was like for you?
1: Um, I loved visiting, but I hated yeah. I hated sitting around the table after a meal and visiting. Yeah. Um, if I, I had two companions that weren't good visitors. and okay. Um, it, it really seemed to, um, cause tension at least Mm -hmm. because sometimes they said things that I didn't agree with. Um, and I mean, I can't tell you what those things are now, but, um, even today to this day, um, I can't sit around the table after a meal and talk for very long. I have to say, look, can we go sit in the living room or something? because I'll just get tenser and tenser and tenser. Right. Um, but moving from house to house is really, really hard. Yes. Um, yes. It's because you have to, not only do you have to get used to a new bed, but you you have to, um, I'm, I'm a highly sensitive person. So I'm constantly gauging other people's reactions, feeling the spirit in the room, and uh, trying to figure out what other people's relationships are with one another. And it's exhausting. And so you yourself in
0: new situations every few days. Right. And, and um, you, you know, people, I don't know, try to be performative (laughs) when workers show up, there's like this feeling of like, we have to be performative. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that like when, when workers came to visit us, I, I just kind of recall as kids, mom and dad were like, Hey, put your feet up, go hang out downstairs. If you, you know, just, whatever, if you want hot dogs for dinner, just tell us like, there was no, like we have to make roast beef and mashed potatoes and like put on this gourmet meal. It was like, Hey, if you want to go hang out and, and, and be by yourself and just like totally veg, go right ahead. If you want to come up and visit, Hey, we'd love that. You're very welcome to, but you don't have to. And it was, so it was a much like, I feel like it was fairly relaxed. Um, and, and so, it, you know, maybe, maybe you had that experience where there's some homes you genuinely felt like at home and other homes where it was like, Oh boy, I can't wait to leave and not because the people were terrible but like
1: no and that i don't i can't really think of any home where the people were terrible mm-hmm. uh, and being and uh, i spent a year in newfoundland and mm. that year was difficult in so many ways but not not because of the people because they are all so relaxed and just <laughs> what you see is what you get that's yeah. that was great it was so good yeah. Yeah. um yeah but yeah it's and and it's just you have to be on 24 7 regardless of who it is you know no, no matter how well you know these people um you you're there visiting like if you love them and you haven't seen them for a few months then you you want to visit it's it's not like right. being forced to but i'm not yeah. going to stay in my room if yeah I have a chance to visit with these people that I love. You right, know, right. like a lot of a lot of my exhaustion came from from me. It wasn't because yeah. people were were demanding anything of me. Yeah. Yeah. And even my own grandparents, like um they my grandfather said, "We understand Hod, that that being in the work is not an easy thing and that you're very tired. So don't ever feel like um you you need to come and visit us don't um if you're tired um and you don't have time for us we understand but i you know every time i'd be home if i didn't go see them they'd be phoning saying where's hot is he coming right. so like, they understand
0: yeah but they're, they're, they love you and they want to see you exactly
1: that's the yeah. thing and this that really is it's so much about love like people right. love having you in their homes. And so you don't want to ignore them. You don't want to go into your room and shut the door, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so largely it sounds like a a fairly positive experience that you had, like preaching the gospel. You know, you really, the Spirit really gave you words to speak that were not your own. Um, You had good experiences visiting with people. Uh, You know, I think about how, like, in one sense, we're never raised to put workers on a pedestal, but I think, I think we always had this idea that, uh, well, you know, they're human and they make mistakes, but kind of like the spirit of God just sort of overrules that stuff. And so they're relatively minor mistakes that we can kind of brush aside, I guess. And as obviously 2023 has shown us when the flood gets, because there's always whispers before, but before the flood gets open. So I guess I'm wondering if in, in your experience within the ministry, were were there any um experiences you had or interactions you had that gave you this inkling that like something may not be right or there there's a- elements or aspects of it that are are not right
1: yes absolutely um i i heard about things and mm-hmm. most of it wasn't specifics but i heard about things oh um that person is bitter because um you know, something happened and they, they got wrong, you know, they let it, they let it take over their, or, you know, like um, that person is no longer in the work um, because um, they uh, caused a woman to be unfaithful to her husband, you know, like Mm -hmm. all these little things. Right. Um, And I can understand, I can understand how, um, it has gotten to where it, it where it is because, you know, here I am, my first years in the work, very zealous, uh, full mm-hmm. of love, and these things are becoming normalized. Right? They're slowly, like they're little bit by little bit, getting in there. Mm-hmm. And, and I even had an experience with with um and uh with my companion, um, a a number of them, and. Uh I mean, I don't bear him any ill will, but I think that in different circumstances, what he did could have been very damaging to me um, so and but yet, I didn't like looking back, I can see that, but in the moment, it was really annoying, and it didn't make me feel good, but I didn't really see it as being something that was wrong
0: with him. You know what I mean? Right. Like, the, and, and maybe didn't, didn't point itself towards like something endemic uh, exactly. within the, the structure and the hierarchy of the ministry and how things operate as a whole. So I, I want to float this thought out, you know, cause I, I look at this and I'm a pretty, I think I'm a pretty analytical person. I mean, I was, I was a chemistry and math and astrophysics and physics, you know, high level mathematics, that kind of stuff. That's what, that's what I studied. And I think sometimes I was I was trying to like find answers and all that stuff too, um, which I didn't, um, well, I, mean, I did not I didn't I should say, but mm-hmm. all of us to say, you know, I started like thinking back through all this. I'm going like, okay, how do how did we get here? Like, what happened where? And, and, and you know, the floodgates suddenly open. It turns out there's just there's all kinds of terrible things that are taking place in this this fellowship and have been for decades, if not more. And I go, how do, how do we get here? And so I think, okay. Did it start with maybe making the form an idol? You know, this is the way we have to do it to obtain salvation. And then did we make the ministry an idol? You must hear the word of the gospel from this ministry. And they become and, and you have these idols that, that actually now stand between you and God, because it's like you have to be in this form and you have to be connected to this ministry. And so now you have essentially idolatry. Yes. That's you know, exactly. and, and right. <laughs> I go how how did we get there? And then you, you think, um, you, you know, my a lot of my public criticisms, which I've been fairly quiet since. So we're we're recording this in December of 2023. Uh, my public criticisms were really came in like mar- the spring and the summer of 2023. I was quite vocal. I spoke very bluntly at times. Um, I had people ask me if I was going to get excommunicated because of some of the stuff I said, but I wasn't trying to be deliberately inflammatory. I felt so moved to say what I did so directly. Um, but then there came a point where it was like, okay, you've said everything I asked you to say. Um, and they're 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 not responding. Like it it's at this point, like there's no point in saying much further. Like I wrote three letters, uh, I don't know to call it like first, second, and third Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> like but you know, uh the first one was like kind of this this gentle plea for transparency. You know, the second one was like the silence is deafening, and the third one was uh, kind of like a call for you know like where where is the repentance and sackcloth and ashes and and this kind of thing and it was pretty blunt it was like you know lord be not silent continue to expose the pedophiles the rapists and the cowards who enable them (laughs) like those are some pretty inflammatory words and i never in my life the first 40 years of my life if you ever told me like i would have uttered those words like two ministers of the gospel within this fellowship and in particular pointed at overseers like i would have just I would have been uh, flabbergasted. There's no way in the world I would ever do something like that. And yet I was up till 4am writing all three of those letters because like I, I, I just couldn't sleep until I put them on paper. <laughs> like It was so intense. So I kind of just share that as, 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 a background to, you know, like your experience with maybe like overseers and sort of the functionality of it and things like that. Were there s- things that you noticed about the power dynamics that seemed like they were unhealthy?
1: Um, it's it's kind of a hard question because Fair. it it was it was very much um what i what i grew up with and mm-hmm. so, um even looking back it doesn't seem strange because right. that that's the way it was supposed to be you know um right but really I, our overseer bill bryant was from what i am from what I am gathering from so much of what I've seen since. Mm-hmm. That man, he was, like I say, he was very much a politician. Um, he could answer your question without answering at all. Um, he he really did have a care for um the members of his staff and for the sheep. He really did. Mm. Um and you could see that in the way uh, that he when when he put people together for a year or whatever, um, there seemed to be care in, in, in his actions. Um,
0: right. Like but, trying to match, match people up that would not be like sandpaper, you know, on a jellyfish kind of thing. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, like, um, of course there was power dynamics. Um mm-hmm. uh Dorothy Webster the person that I was telling you about the older sister worker um she was lovely but from what I heard from the younger sisters is that she tired tired them all out because she just she would visit nonstop and they would ask her for mercy and she would say well you can stay home but I'm going well I mean they can't right they have you're to like, yeah, go <laughs> Because if if she shows up without them, what what are they gonna use for an excuse without making her look bad, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and but then in in another way, there was um there was an older sister worker who I thought was so sweet. You know, she was she had this sweet little teeny voice and and um she was I think she died after I left the work, so she was around for the full four years I was in the work. Mm -hmm. Um, I she was at nap and preps the convention (laughs) preparations, and I got an eye opener as to the kind of person that she was. And um, she was nasty. She was nasty to the sisters, but oh, she was syrupy sweet to the brothers. And Mm. um, but she never showed that to uh to the lay people to the people in their homes you know or they mm. just thought she was the most wonderful thing but she really i saw her make um even older sisters cry like she was she was so mean she was horrible right. so it's not always what you would assume
0: you know right right and i wonder if she was just ter- like among other things terribly unhappy as a human being
1: well yeah like someone said she had been um spoiled all her life she had just been given what she wanted. And mm-hmm. um, they said, you can fool, um, you know, that saying, you can fool some of the people all the time and you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And yeah. as you get older and start losing your faculties, your abilities to fool become less and less and less, right? Right, <laughs> was, yeah. the yeah. colors show through. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and apparently she, she had been... Um, in Ontario and they couldn't take her there anymore. So they shipped her to New Brunswick, to the Maritimes. And um, according to some, and I don't know if this is true, but uh, Bill Bryant had the reputation of taking all of the problem workers and saying, yes, we'll give them a place here, which was hard on the staff really. But, you know, apparently he he had a a tender heart.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wanted to try to do, you know, and and so I wonder then, you know, because a, a lot of my criticisms have been very leveled at the overseer class, as they call it. And uh, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of genuine corruption there. There's people that have been corrupted by money and by power, uh, by position, you know. And and it's 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 more of a systemic thing. It's it's like it's almost like a chicken and egg thing. Is it, <coughs> pardon me, is it the pathological people that this system works well and they climb to the top? Or does the system create or turn people into uh, in, in this way? And you, you know, you've kind of seen how the sausage is made on the inside within the ministry, which was was quite secretive in, in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, uh, we'd always had the whispers of like, don't don't read about the internet. And it's, it's funny. I mean, to this day, most things you're going to read about the two by two fellowship is going to be like pretty negative because it's usually those who are who have dissident voices are going to speak up the loudest and want to make air their grievances and make them heard. Versus those who are satisfied are just going to carry on and tune that stuff out yeah
1: well to answer your question i don't i don't think that it has to be one or the other i think it can Mm -hmm. be both i think Mm -hmm. that there are there are pathological um i don't know what you call them they're liars and individuals yeah yeah um who Mm -hmm. who you you find them a lot of them as overseers Mm -hmm. uh but i think mostly it's that they have become that because Mm -hmm. they have to yeah they have to in order to maintain the status
0: quo right like you you almost have to become a tyrant to sort of keep things in order which Mm -hmm. i mean in one sense you know because i remember sort of feeling appalled at hearing some overseers say like uh basically like we're chosen by god and we answer to god and ourselves and that's it we don't answer to you you know, to, to, to a group of like their congregation. And I hear that. I'm just, I just think you sound like a megalomaniac. Yes. At this point, like, how did you get to this place where, you know, maybe, maybe in years past, I would have thought it was a sincere sentiment. Like we're trying to be led by God. But, you know, when you have like thousands of people who are horrified by all of the, like the scale of the scope of the abuse that has taken place under the umbrella of this fellowship like saying like something's got to change and, and they're basically just clinging to their, their, they got the financial backing so they can just kind of wait. The, they call it a storm. We're going to wait the storm out and they can, but they have a lot to lose if they're removed from their place as well. What do you do if, if like 40 or 50 years, this has been your life and you've had access to money and to power and to privilege and all of this and boom overnight it's taken away. So of course they're fighting tooth and nail to hold on to what they have.
1: Right. Yeah. Like I said, they really don't have yeah. a choice. Yeah. And- this is, it, if, it, this is what I've oh, said yeah. the very beginning from yeah. uh, the Dean Brewer thing right on through. I have I have predicted that those in places of power, not just overseers, but you know, yeah. workers, sort of services, of those who are
0: considered senior,
1: right? They are going to dig in their heels and double yeah. down. Yeah, dig in their heels and not give in, and they're going to double down on all of. Um, The rules and traditions and the things that um, set them apart, that set this religion apart from all the rest, or Mm -hmm. that they believe sets them apart from all the rest. The things that in their mind
0: aren't negotiable, right? Right. And and it's like, doesn't that make self-righteousness? Well, that's all it is. Right. Right. Yeah. Because of these rules that we follow. Mm -hmm. well. Shucks, I thought we kind of <laughs> did away. Yeah, I think I think I don't the numbers right. Six hundred and thirteen commandments in the Old Testament law, something like that. There's a yeah, lot. Something like that. Yes. And and sometimes I think the point of it was to show that like no amount of rules was ever going to be sufficient to get people to like you just can't. No. Like I'm pretty sure that God knew from the get go that there were there was no way they're ever going to be able to follow. Them. Like and
1: yeah, and he wants he wants a people who have joy in their heart, not mm-hmm. not people who are doing things out of fear.
0: Right. Or following rules because this whole idea of self-righteousness by following these rules, I become righteous. So at a certain point, you just, your nervous system really can't handle. And I, and I absolutely get it. I, you know, I'm involved in behavioral psychology, neuroscience, that kind of stuff. Like I, I totally get it. So much of my work is trying to get people to nurture and take care of their nervous system. Because, you you know, I'm, for those who don't know, I'm like a health coach, essentially. Uh, but I'm, I'm, my work is rooted in behavioral psychology and neuroscience and, and nervous system health. With, I, I joke that nutrition is the cover story because my, you know, but the point of it being is we often try to use, let's say, in my my professional world, we'll try to use like fitness and training plans and nutrition plans and meal plans. We try to use all of that without actually looking what's what's the root cause of this problem here. We we got to deal with it at this this level here. And so the ministry I think burns a lot of good people out. The the empath, the heart centered, compassionate people just get burnt out because it takes so much out of you. Yeah. And so you go, I, I can't continue. So, you know, you thought mm-hmm. called into this ministry and you're at this point, you can't continue. Yeah. Like what's that like? So, um, for
1: one summer, I had a very short mission with, uh, James Abbott, who, um, was a senior, um, minister on our staff. And, um, he had a reputation of being a difficult companion because he had nerve problems and he just didn't seem to have any clue, um, about how, how to be thoughtful or gracious. Um, but when I was with him, he, he wasn't feeling good. I could tell he wasn't feeling good. His nerves were shot. Um, Mm -hmm. I could tell that he was trying really hard, um, because I think he'd been warned. Um, that he had to be nice to this young brother worker. So he was trying really hard, but I could see his struggle, not, not yeah. his struggle to be nice, but just yeah. his, his struggle to be, um, to be normal because he yeah. was, was, had such a hard trouble problem with his nerves. So mm. it caused me to pray that um, like every day that if um, I was I've, for any reason, my physical or mental or nervous health would not allow me to continue in the work that God would make it happen when I was still young. So mm-hmm. I would I would have a future so mm-hmm. that I could be able to choose a different path and live a normal life. Cause I saw him at 73 years old and I just, I said, if he, if he were to leave the work, what would he have? What would he do? You know, still physically able for everything, but just not um, nervous, not mentally able. Mm-hmm. So very soon after that, God answered that prayer too. But it was after mm-hmm. a special meeting run um, where I had done all the planning for our field because my coworker was um, uh, legally blind. He mm-hmm. he really, he depended a lot on me to do all the driving all of the um, uh, leading the hymns, um, anything right. required eyesight. He would yeah. require that from me, and I was fine with that, as I was. I had lots of energy, and he asked me to make all the preparations, all the visiting lists for uh, for the field when um, when the special meeting rounds were being done there. So I did that, and then special meetings, and then I had a few weeks off. And at the end of those few weeks, I was heading back to my field, and I just it felt like I was driving into a black hole. I had never mm-hmm. experienced even a 30 30 seconds of depression before in my life. I was 26 years old, and you know, I didn't have a clue what depression was. And I went deep into it. It was a two and a half hour drive to my field. And by the time I got there, I didn't see any point in living at all. It my mm-hmm. body Said you have had enough. I it can't do any more. Um, whatever it is that you want me to do, it's not going to happen. And I thought that I could, you know, push through it. But people were asking me like I tried to have a mission. People were asking me after meeting if what was wrong with me. And finally, one of one of the ladies in the field came to me and she said, "Hod, your eyes used to sparkle." Um, when you were preaching and when you were greeting us at the door, she said, "Your eyes are dead. What is wrong with you?" And luck would have it, we had a um, uh, a lady in our field who was a um, a psychiatrist, and I asked if I could go see her, and um, that was that was really I would say my first steps toward actually understanding what being whole would would be like, but. Mm-hmm. First visit, she said, Pod, she said, I think I know what your problem is. It's that you have never individuated. Uh, she said, you have always been what everybody else wants you to be. You have, um, you're like a chameleon. You just, you step from one situation, one household to the next, and you just fit right in. And she said, you, ca- you can't do that for the rest of your life. And your body is telling you from now on, you can't. It's just not from this point on. And she said, as long as it took you to get to this place, it will take you that long to get better. It took mm-hmm. you seven years. It'll take you seven years to be able to put this behind you. Well, she was right. She was about right.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's quite profound. And I mean, I just think about it from a, um, you know, you were, you were essentially running heavily, uh, like, like just running your nervous system at a red line for quite some time. And it was like you're using a credit card on your energy bank until oh. there's no more credit left and then so there's no there's no reserves there's no credit left that's it you're you're done and, and the only thing you can really do is rest and kind of go into a healing place and i I mean I understand I, I I nearly drove myself to nervous breakdown in my mid30s i was I was overworking myself I was undersleeping I was overtraining. I was different circumstances but I remember like kneeling to pray and feeling like I was staring into a black hole a black abyss and like wondering like what is wrong the thing the, the, the thing that was supposed to give me some kind of comfort. I, it just felt it felt like like where where is god even in this like i just but it's hard to explain to people who don't understand what it's like to just feel like exactly like you, when you described that i was like i know exactly what you're talking about because i i'd felt that but i i'd burn myself out in a different way but the same physiological response to my body i just i and i would have panic attacks and meetings and things like i didn't know and i had no idea what was going on in my body i i couldn't explain it i had no words for it like and that's part of why I do what I do now is because I, I have now put the different pieces together and helped myself and, and now I can I'm in a position where I can help others. And <clears throat> and so eventually you 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 leave the ministry. Um what do you do? Do you go back home and rest for a period of time? Like how do you how do you rebuild your life after that?
1: Uh well it took me a while to come to terms with the fact that I had to leave the ministry. Um mm-hmm. I spent a year like working for some people that I knew a carpentry work, but still really, or, you know, I, first I spent the next six months, like actually being in the work, um, trying to be a worker, uh, a minister, um, to move amongst people in the same way. Um, but with this horrible, uh, affliction and found out that it was impossible. I was really Mm -hmm. lucky to have, uh, a coworker that year. I, God planned it so perfectly because I loved my coworker. And as soon as I told him what I was going through, he said, well, that's it then. He said, you and I aren't going to go anywhere. We're just going to stay. What, what home would you feel most comfortable in? So I told him, fine, we'll go there. We'll ask them if it's okay. if we, And we'll we'll stay there for two weeks and we'll decide from then what we'll do. And he said, you know, I have a lot of letters to write. I don't think I'll go anywhere either. Like he didn't put any pressure on me at all. He mm-hmm. said, "Do you think that you can speak in the meetings?" And I said, "Yes," but I shouldn't have. So I had a wonderful companion. Um, it and like I had this when I when I was at my best. So it wasn't I couldn't blame anybody, right? And that's that's how God planned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, after after uh, a year, I went and asked Bill if I could go back in the work. And uh, he, he told me, he said, you know, he said, um, like the cows uh, that went bearing the Ark of God, they left their calves behind them, and they went lowing as they went. He said it wasn't a choice that they made. Um, they didn't have any choice. They had to leave the ones they loved behind. He said, it, we don't go without feeling. And he said, I know that that's what you want. And... um Sorry, that's okay. He said it with tears running down his face, and he said, Um, I don't think that you are able that you're physically able for this work God. um and he said if if you insist on going, he said, then there will be a place for you, but I counsel you not to so i you know I heard him, and I mm-hmm. said, If this man has been in this ministry for you know, 50 years, then he knows a thing or two. So mm-hmm. I, um, I believed him and pretty soon after that, I moved to BC cause that's where my parents were. Um, and that's kind of like I, and the next 10 years were really hell, really hell learning how to be like, live a normal life. Because right. I had always been a worker, even as a teenager, I was a worker. I there was a right. lot of things yeah. I didn't learn. Um I was horrible with money because I just I never thought about the future. I you know I would I would save enough money to to go um drive across the United States. I saved enough money to go to Australia and New Zealand but without thought for what I was going to do later because I knew that I was going to go into the ministry, right? Right, right. So, and even just like normal relationships. Um yeah. Interacting with people, you have to learn all of that stuff all mm-hmm. of to do all of that stuff and I mean I was still um, dealing with with severe depression, bouts of severe depression, and I had lots of like uh, um physiological things my my body decided that it was going to get mono and that I was going to break my mm-hmm. foot just by walking and there were so many things that happened that and I got, I got chronic, uh, strep throat. I come down with strep throat every six weeks. Yeah. And it was just one thing after another, you know,
0: you were so depleted. I call it being in a recovery debt. You demanded yeah. so much without enough rest, restorative sleep and restorative work that like y- your body falls behind in repair jobs. Your bones are getting fragile because they're not, you know, that kind of thing that, that makes so much sense, you know? And so y- you decide you're going to have a, try, try to have a normal life. Um, once you leave the ministry you know do you start considering a relationship and um, did you you know it was still, a- I st- I still didn't believe
1: that I was um that I was worthy of a relationship i basically didn't believe that i was worthy of love uh um, no. when i left the work um that that um that purpose that I had that reason for for being was gone mm, and yeah. so I, it was kind of this um you know what they say when like a part of your body is removed, it takes your body a while to fill that void, and right it, you know there's uh there's a lot of sickness that goes with that because your body's trying to adjust, and I feel that mm. that was, there's a void that the work filled for me um mm-hmm. wasn't that it wasn't filling anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. so uh, gradually I, I, I guess I developed uh, a double life, um, because I really, uh, felt like I needed, um, something like, as far as relationships go, as far as love goes, I needed something that I couldn't get, uh, from amongst the people of, of this fellowship. So, I started looking for it elsewhere. I mean, I once the gay community mm-hmm. um I developed friendships um uh, mm-hmm. but I could never really seriously <coughs> never seriously date anyone for a couple of reasons: one because I didn't love myself i mm-hmm. didn't believe that I was worthy of love um two because I felt like um I was special because I knew of the the one true way to heaven and um, they didn't know it. So how how could I ever like have a meaningful relationship with someone that I was, I mean, subconsciously judging into a lost eternity, right? Not only right. For the fact that they didn't have it right, but also that they weren't Christians. Most of them weren't Christians at all. So those are things that I had to, I had to, um, God had to lead me away from. Hmm. Or mm-hmm. I could have any real um, meaningful relationship, and I'm not saying that other people can't who had you know similar situations for me that's just my experience
0: that's all mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so and you mentioned leading a leading a double life and so I think about you know there's a part of you that still wants to be part of this fellowship but um, and perhaps there are, I, I mean I think you're, you're fairly open at this point in time about about your orientation your lifestyle and so on um, how do are you still an active participant within the fellowship like how how are you received how do people uh, no
1: um but i was until uh two and a half years ago Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. most people in the fellowship knew that i was gay and Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part nobody it seemed to me that nobody really it didn't matter to anyone right Um, and my the the sunday morning fellowship meeting that i attended um it was lovely. I didn't feel like anyone had a problem with me being there. As a matter of fact, I felt very much wanted there. It wasn't mm-hmm. that I was being tolerated; it the, just that I was being welcomed with open arms, and I really appreciated. It. And that's why I stayed, not because I believed anymore that um, this is the only the the only way that God honors to for salvation, but just because um, I I loved. Uh, my Sunday morning meeting and I really do love like the manner in which it's done. I love sharing, mm-hmm. like going yeah. to meet and having a part, you know, that mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. that fed me as much as other people, what other people had to say. And I mean, they, mm-hmm. they had to say it was important, but a big part of, of my own
0: worship was sharing right out of my own heart. And so, you, you know, at, at a certain point, now again prior to, you know, basically a year ago, a lot of this stuff was under wraps, but um had you did had you had any increased awareness of these sorts of things that were sort of bubbling up under the surface or was it kind of out of the blue for you as well when the as we we now call it March 2023 was like Brewergate?
1: Um well none of it is a really big surprise because like once the stories come out, I remember like oh yeah, um, I remember hearing about Bob Ingram and, and Truett Euler. I remember hearing about um, uh, stories from different parts of uh, all over the world. You know, um, mm-hmm. so I, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I've, I'm I'm kind of blown away with the amount of it, uh, right? Because my belief was yeah, these things happen. They're not okay. I'm not saying they're okay, but these things happen because we're human. And Mm -hmm. no matter where humans are, we're all the same, right?
0: Dysfunction is going to occur.
1: Dysfunction. There's a certain percentage of us who um, are sexual maniacs. Certain percentage of us are pedophiles, you know, or have Mm -hmm. those those tendencies. Mm -hmm. And so... That's my that was my attitude toward it. Yeah, I know that these things these things have gone on, and there's the occasional one. But since Brewergate, um, I my whole um, view on the religion I was brought up in
0: has really changed a lot. Okay, mm-hmm. and so, and and uh, I've been enjoying just having all this time with you. You know, if people are still listening, I'm like this is this is great because I mean, clearly, I think you and know, I could just keep going. But I, so I'd love to hear, like, kind of where you're at now and how you go, like what what has your evolution been and how did you get to this place? You know, and and your your kind of like your current relationship with God as you see it.
1: Um. Well, some years ago, I had nearly come to the end of my rope, so I went to convention and I prayed. If at this convention, um. You need to answer this prayer, which, which I had prayed from the very beginning, from when I was a child, that he would make me straight. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to be homo, but he never, ever did anything for me. He never changed a thing. So at this convention, I said, I really need you to, to answer this for me. Like, mm-hmm. give, me, give me some kind of a consolation or something. And so worker stood up, uh, first meeting and said, have you ever prayed something for your entire life and have had absolutely no answer from God? And I'm like, (laughs) yes. (laughs) And uh, he said, uh, um, maybe you need to change your prayer and ask God to make you content with whatever it is that that you want him to change. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay. That's it. So as soon as the meeting was over, I didn't go up and go to, go to, meet, go to uh, lunch. I went to my tent and I prayed, God, if this is what you, you want from me, um, then just make me content with how I am. And it was like this, this weight of years came off my shoulders. And he said, not audibly, obviously, but I understood what he was saying to me is that I do not make a mistake. Those were the words that I thought immediate. I have not mm-hmm. made a mistake. And with that came the understanding that um, the God of love does not give people the um, the capacity and ability to love and then forbid them to do so. Um, I just knew that. I knew it. Mm-hmm. And it was like all of this weight came off, to my, came off of my shoulders. So that was 10 years ago, 12 mm-hmm. years ago, actually. So from that time, it's just been I've ne- I haven't had depression anything with depression since. So what I understood was that all of my uh, feelings of worthiness, my my uh, feeling of purpose, were all wrapped up with being called in the work. And he was letting me know that I was worthy of his love without having to be in the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that progression from that point on it was just i can look back and see the guiding of his hand he's taught me so much he has led me away from uh he's weaned i'll say he's weaned me away from um having my my belief in him and my spiritual uh health um attached to the group that i was brought up in mm-hmm. and so, you know, when it came, it came time for me to leave, um, to stop going to meeting, and I mean, that can be for another story because it's a long story in itself. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't it. I didn't, I didn't enjoy leaving, but it wasn't a horrible thing for me because right. my, my faith in God, um, wasn't attached to that at all. I appreciated it. I loved it, but I didn't need it to continue walking with God. And um, he, I'm so assured uh, with my belief and faith and and love in him um, that it really doesn't matter what other people say or what other other people think of me. Uh, What matters is my relationship with God. So that's Mm -hmm. where I'm at. That's where I'm at
0: right now. Mm. And And so you said like when Brewergate blew wide open, you know, a lot, a lot of things changed for you. And in, in, like, as, as I mentioned earlier, in my eyes, I feel like um, we'd made the structure and the ministry to be an idol and put that between us and God. And, I, you know, I feel like maybe all of this is kind of being blown open. And I, I was wondering, like, why is this dragging on? Like, when all of this has been like made known, why are people still like clinging? And, and why aren't overseers stepping down? Why are they not doing the honorable and, and right thing and so on and so forth? And the answer sort of came in a sense like learn about long suffering this idea that like god is permitting this to continue not because god likes these things at all but to help people like until more people's eyes become open to see that okay your salvation is not connected to this hierarchy it is not connected to this form you you and so this will continue until you wake up to this fact where you may still be a participant within this fellowship, but you recognize that this is not your salvation. Right. And so uh, I, I think it's, it's still, there's a long way to go for, for people to sort of become disconnected from it. So many people have buried their head and we call it like hiss, head and sand syndrome. You mm-hmm. know, it's like. That means I see that all over the place and I'm like, I don't,
1: what what is hiss? I don't know what it is. So now. Head and head sand syndrome. <laughs> you I, I know, think. Right. And that is, that has been my experience and what I see. Um, that when the time came, uh, for me to leave, I, all I said was, I see this as my cue to leave. And I simply walked mm-hmm. away. Um, yeah. that wasn't without feeling, but yes. it wasn't like, like I like to say, it's, it wasn't like ripping a band aid And mm-hmm. I think that, that God does not rip the band aid So all of these people just aren't ready yet. Right, and they need to come to the point for themselves, and maybe mm-hmm. they never will, and that's fine. Maybe they, yeah. ne- but they have that. Maybe they'll never leave, but they have to come to a point where they say, "My salvation does not depend on being a member of this group." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yes, they can stay, but
0: right.
1: they have to come to that point.
0: Well, I think shouldn't the fellowship enhance? or it's like a supplement to our relationship with God because you know we're, we're human beings we're wired for connection and and as you said I too like meeting in fellowship it's a participatory fellowship we face each other like it's a there there really is an intimate sense to it yeah. like there, there's a real connectedness um but uh, you know um yeah I, I find that like it's really difficult for me right now to go and to listen to the ministers within this ministry go and preach the gospel and not speak about the terrible unrighteousness and evil and ungodliness that has been made so apparent like i have a hard time like sitting and listening to them and thinking like why do you not want to address this like who where's is, where's is the spirit of elijah where's the spirit of the truth teller the spirit of someone will say like where is the spirit of reconciliation of repentance of uh, these things just aren't forthcoming and so it, it has has really you know but, but maybe that's also been, I even got to the place where I was like, I was having a hard time reading my Bible and praying because I go, because so much of it had been connected to a, a performative function. I have to do this. And if I don't do this, you know, like I'm bound for hell. <laughs> and so it's having to like, like in the same way that people have to like kind of disconnect in the form and go, okay, hang on a second. So I've kind of wanted to go back and understand, well, what does it mean to, to walk with God? What does it mean to serve God? What does it mean? To, like, I have to kind of rethink this stuff and it doesn't mean that I'll necessarily walk away from the fellowship. They may kick me out, <laughs> but so far, like no one's even tried. No one's even talked to me about that. Right. So I think we're, but <clears throat> so anyways, so you're in this place and you, you know, what does, what does your, I guess if I could put it this way, what does what your Christian uh, practice or your walk with God? Like how, do, how does it look? How do you practice or live your faith now?
1: Um, well, when I left meetings, uh when I stopped attending meetings, we'll put it that way. Um <laughs> I wondered what do I do now? Um Right. And God nearly four, four decades, like God answered that immediately with people, uh friends, people who I, I had only a, like a passing acquaintance with me. Oh, like they they reached out. They didn't even know my situation. But they were just there were people reaching out, emails, um, texts, phone calls. On Facebook, you know, it was just this barrage, and everybody were either um, like reaching out because they were having um, a crisis of their faith, or they were reaching out because um, uh, they were gay and uh, wondering how I um, justified my my relationship with God and my homosexuality. They Mm -hmm. they were reaching out because they just they they had heard um, that, um, I was, you know, like not necessarily going to meeting anymore. And they wanted, uh, like to offer me, Hey, I've been listening to this person and they're amazing or read this book. It's incredible. And it was just, it was so, it probably was for the first 18 months that was going on. And I've really developed a, uh, a very large, um, um network of mm-hmm. people who I have fellowship with and also so many of those people who pointed me to you know youtube videos or books of of this pastor or or that priest or whatever um those things have uh really really opened my eyes to the love and grace of god and I still listen to them I still mm-hmm. take my sunday mornings and just sit down with a cup of coffee and even like I've listened to some of them five or six times. And mm-hmm. it's brand new every single time I listen to it. It's like that green pastures beside Still Waters, once again. You know? Yeah. And and it's like before I was just going on Sunday morning meeting and mm-hmm. enjoying that. But now it's just it's like that times a hundred. And I don't mm-hmm. even belong to any group. And I I keep thinking maybe i should go to church and look for a church but i just don't i don't really feel the need you know the Mm -hmm. thought comes and goes and that's it
0: Mm. and and as we touched on earlier i I don't think we're going to find a religious sort of organization that doesn't sort of face similar challenges or problems to the one that this organization does or or has no um and and if I'm asked, does your boyfriend have any, any sort of faith at all? And like, how, how does he feel about your practice of faith or how does uh, that fit in? He, he doesn't,
1: um, he just, he wasn't raised going to any church. Mm-hmm. Uh, he decided when he was 13 that he wanted to join. I can, I think it was the Baptist church or something. And his mother said, fine, go for it. And then, um, he went to that for a few years and had a bad experience at one of their summer camps. And mm-hmm just like walked away and basically was not interested in Christianity at all. Uh, but he is extremely supportive of me and he tells anyone who will listen to him that if there's ever any Christian on this earth, it's me.
0: Um, so, <laughs>
1: so, you know, I love that about it. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, hard. uh This is, I think been my, my longest podcast episode, but I just, I so enjoy Talking to you and I feel like it's a long overdue catch-up. It just feels like talking with an old friend. Um hey, I've so appreciated it. I am old and I am a friend. So <laughs> we're middle-aged, man. Yeah. I uh, I have gray in my I have gray in my beard as well, but it's just concealed a little bit better by the reddish strawberry blonde color. You know? You do but, much better than I do. But I'll tell but you it, something. It,
1: it, I'll tell you something. I have never been this old before in my life, so I'm still getting used
0: to it. Right. <laughs> Uh, that, that probably fits in the category of dad joke, um, Mm uh, which which I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of. So more of that. So if, if if people listened to this today, um, they've listened to this conversation, they've made it to this point, they're, they're really touched by your story and so on. If people could take one thing away from this, what do you hope they take away from, from hearing this today?
1: Um, I hope that they can take away from it that, um, God is a God of love Mm -hmm. and, um, that every experience that you have, if you allow it to teach you uh, something that is good, that it is God, um, God trying to show you more about his love. And it might not be easy experiences, but when you come through it, you will understand more about the love of God.
0: Awesome. Todd, thank you so much for being with today. today. It's truly it's really been a pleasure.
1: Thank you, John. It's been great.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to The Hidden Truth. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. It is so important that these stories are heard so that we continue to raise awareness and support victim survivors in their healing journey. For those who have been affected but haven't found your voice yet, I hope these stories inspire you to keep moving forward on your healing journey. Take care.